Gracious God, center us this morning on your word. And as we talk about this next enneagram and the biblical character who is attached to it the most. May each one of these things we're doing each week speak to some of us. They won't speak to all of us. But may they speak to, in some way to that part of us who is that particular one. In this case, it is a one. And so, Lord, just pour into our time here. Help us understand one another in our giftedness and our differences and allow us to serve you faithfully and fully with all that you've given us. Pour your spirit into the words that I say now as we gather here. May they be acceptable and pleasing to you. People of God said together, amen. So yesterday afternoon, we got our shot to see Hamilton. Thanks to Susan's mom, Martha, who gave it to us as a Christmas gift and birthday gift and whatever else you want to wrap that into. The tickets are expensive. And it was interesting to watch that show because of the, just the, the nature of all the different characters brought to life from that time period that you kind of read in a history book and don't think they're real people. The other thing about Hamilton is, is that I watched a documentary last night, a two-hour documentary, and was just thinking about all the things that he said. And one of the things is, is that it was an interesting in the fact that every person in the cast, for the most part, is a person of color. None of the people in that day and time would have been that color, but it didn't, it doesn't affect anything. And one thing they said is why, and they said something about why haven't we seen all these talented people like this before? And the answer was because there aren't many shows they can be a part of on the Great White Way. And it was interesting to me that that whole nature of differences and and all of those things and. And so each week we've been applying these types of enneagrams, and I thought about trying to figure out who, what Hamilton's enneagram would be. He could be a one. He's probably an eight. But I don't know. And we've been applying that enneagram also to the characters in the Bible. What we can learn from each of them about us and our, our relationships. So far we've learned about five, say five. The investigator... The Observer with the Magi, Thomas, Nicodemus. Last week it was eight. Say eight. The Challenger or Leader with John the Baptist and Samson. Who are my eights? Eights, raise your hands. We've got some eights. Oh, you think you're an eight now for sure? Still working on it. I got it. I know. Okay, you're okay. All right. All right. Who are the fives? Who are my fives with me? Fives. Oh, really? Fives, fives. More of you have done this because you have told me, so you're just not going to tell anybody else. I got it. I got it. Thank you for being bold enough to say that choice, Miss. This week's number is one. Say one. One. Enneagram type ones are commonly known as the perfectionists. You're laughing. Stephen's already pointing at me. Okay. Wow. Let's take the test first. Remember, it's a self-discovery, not a your husband tells you. Or the idealists. One see the world in black and white with little room for gray. Things are either right or wrong, good or bad, perfect or imperfect. Ones are always in pursuit of perfection as a way of controlling their environment. You're strong-willed, you're justice-oriented, and you're willing to make a stand for what you care about. 
ones will even straighten the picture frames in their friends' houses. Anybody like that? Oh, that's it. Oh, oh, oh. They're, they're going by. Oh, my good Lord. Ones will notice on the altar what's wrong with it, but I won't tell you what's wrong with it. Ones are also called the reformer. They have a strong sense of justice. They are greatly concerned with moral and ethical uprightness. When this is externalized, ones can be some of the greatest advocates for human rights and positive change in the world. When it becomes internalized, ones become their own worst critics. The world isn't perfect, so ones take it upon themselves to help make it better. But when ones do something wrong, they jump to thinking that they are bad. And so their anger and frustration gets directed inward. Listen to me, ones. There is a difference between saying I did something bad and saying I am bad. The first is a true statement that can lead to positive transformation. The second is a lie straight from the devil's own mouth, one writer writes. Talking about ones seems like a great type to introduce a deeper way to look at the Enneagram. I'm just unveiling pieces by pieces. You know, I'm not giving you the whole puzzle at once because it can be overwhelming. And this deeper way to look at the Enneagram is something that's called wings. Say wings. Just like you think, wings. Just like that. Enneagram wings are important extensions of your core type. And you'll see a whole list of those Enneagram wings that are in your bulletin, actually, on that insert on the one side. Those are all the wings. You'll notice in the picture that the wing is something close to your number. It can't be like three numbers over. It has to be the adjacent number. So either for a one, either a nine or a two. Either the giver or the, uh, the, the giver or the mediator. And they provide more detail about your own unique, colorful personality. Enneagram types are modified with influences from an adjacent type. For example, a type 1 could take the wing of the type 9, the peacemaker, which then becomes the idealists. They tend to be cooler, more relaxed, introverted, impersonal, objective, and detached. Or they could take the type 2 wing. The helper becomes the advocate who tends to be warmer, more helpful, critical, fiery, vocal, sensitive, action-oriented, and controlling. Some folks have the influences from both wings. We all do. However, there usually is a stronger or dominant wing. Last night I sent you another test that I told you to ignore everything else around the test, but take the test, and it does a great job of helping you to figure out your wing. And your wing does affect you. Your dominant wing finds its way into your Enneagram type and acts as a sidekick to all your inner motivations and goals. By understanding wings, you can gain a clearer picture of what your inner motivation looks like, how they emerge from your actions and thoughts, your behavior and thought patterns. Your wing, on the other hand, branches out from your Enneagram roots, so it modifies your type. My wing often comes out to be a four, even though I desperately want to be a six. Because we're going to learn about this next couple of weeks too, but there were different triads in the head, the heart, and the gut. And a five is in the head, and a four is in the heart. My heart and my head are always at war with each other all the time.
Hmm? True, Debbie? Shelly's like, hmm, yeah, for sure. My wife is like, amen, double twice, as many times as you can say it. And I've been in the heart place for the last month and a half, which is draining. It's no surprise that the Pharisees in the New Testament are betrayed as a very one group. Say one. If you just pay attention to the interactions that Jesus had with them, you see that the Pharisees' sect was very concerned with doing all the right things in all the right ways. The Pharisees served as the moral backbone of Jewish society. Ones are also known as moral perfectionists. Ones have a tendency to act very judgmentally towards others. Ones are often pointing out others' faults and saying what others should or should not do. They expect perfection from others, but they can't even obtain their own standards of perfection. Can you see why Jesus was trying so hard to break them out of this cycle of regards to their religion? I mean, he would say things like this. He would say, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, then you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That must have really grated on the nerves of those religious elites. How could anyone be more righteous than they could be? Can you believe this guy? He thinks he's more perfect than us. In the same sermon, Jesus said, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that's the language of a one. We can wrap ourselves around that. That's something the Pharisees could get behind. But what's the context of that statement? Two weeks ago in our Wednesday night class, we actually looked at this text. Oh, God bless you. It's the context of it is loving the unlovable. Accepting those who are imperfect. It's perfect in love. Not perfect without error. Welcoming those who don't have it all together. Investing in those who you deem lesser. That's the perfection that he was talking about. And the Pharisees couldn't stand the things that Jesus was saying. But also, many Pharisees became his followers. I can see why. Jesus was trying to break them out of this need for moral and religious perfection and relating to God. This flew in the face of everything that they were teaching. But once they actually listened to Jesus, they found the true path to freedom in relationship with God, lays not in keeping the laws perfectly, but in loving God and others more fully. Amen? That's what we know that they didn't. Nicodemus, our five, he learned that lesson too. Fives and ones are very close. On this one of the tests, my one was 98% and my five was 93, but every other test puts the five, so I just know that The one is very high in my stuff, but it's not my dominant. And there was another famous Pharisee who was a one. Who do you think is the biblical character that could be most associated with this type? What do you think? 
What? Paul? Who says Paul? Raise your hand and think it's Paul. Melissa thinks it's Paul, Ray, Barbara. Jack's like, I'm not really sure, but I'm going to go with the crowd on this one. You're going to follow her? Okay. You're not a one, right? You're not a one. No, not a one. Anybody else got any ideas? Nobody has a clue, Debbie. Paul. It's Paul. Good job. Way to go with the crowd, Jack. That's how it worked for you. Worked well for you. Roger, way to go. Way to be bold. Way to be bold. I mean, hello. Could be any more obvious. It's the Apostle Paul. A self-proclaimer lover of the law. A Pharisee. Enforcer of the right way. Even to the point of murder. If you're not right, you're wrong. This, of course, describes Paul before the Damascus Road experience. And I don't think this effect was more profound on anyone than Saul of Tarsus, who became this Paul the Apostle. Because Paul is a classic example of a one. His journey is one from severe, unhealthy anger, resentment, judgmentalism, perfectionism, to true health, love, acceptance, service to others. Once he started following Jesus, gave up his murderous ways. Can't do both. You either got to follow Jesus or kill people. It didn't work both ways, and so he had to give up the murder. He did not, however, abandon his passion for a just world. So Paul is an excellent character study for ones. You see clearly his dark, unhealthy side. You can also clearly see how God redeems Paul's core passions, justice in particular, for his glory. Listen to the words of Paul in Philippians 3, and if you follow along in the app or on the screen, some of it's on the screen, some of it's not. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible. That's that thing in front of you that has pages and it has words on it. And tell me it doesn't sound like the words of a one, as we've described it. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But Saul, who is Paul at this point, he is writing that as a one, he's undergone this major transformation. Because that's the first part. Perfectionist. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, or one translation says sewer trash. I like some good sewer trash. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. 
Ones are affected early in life by the message that they have to be good and do things right in order to be accepted. Paul had to learn that there was nothing he could do to earn God's love. It didn't matter matter how impressive his resume was or how solid his theology was. It would never be good enough. He could never be perfect enough. He continues, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Then he goes on, not that I've already obtained this, no perfection here, or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining ahead toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Are those not the words of a transformed one? Ones need to hear and really internalize the truth. And we as well, any of us, even close to having a one. You don't have to be perfect in order to be good. You don't have to be perfect in order to be good. Even the very beginning in Genesis 1, God didn't say his creation was perfect. That word's not in there. He said his cre- the creation is what? Good. Good. It's not perfect. There's a difference. The, the Apostle Paul turned away from being a literal, judgmental Pharisee. And judgment is an Achilles heel of this type of person. It's easy to go outside the bounds quickly to being a man willing to suffer extremely for the cause of Christ. But Paul still struggled daily with the unhealthy habits and patterns and thought behavior of a one. Don't believe me? He still had to fight off the inner critical voice in Romans 7. He still had to remind himself and others that love was the true calling, not religious perfection, which is why he wrote 1 Corinthians 13, the one we use all the time. He would still get angry and lash out at those who opposed him or simply refused to listen to his message. See basically the whole book of Galatians and the second half of 2 Corinthians. He's mad. He's tired. You see, one's core fear, and we all have those fears, remember, so nobody's left out of here. One's core fear is the fear of imperfection. Coming up short. Ones strive to be virtuous, right, virtuously right, and do the right thing at the right time. They fear being accused, misinterpreted, corrected, blamed, not meeting expectations. A reminder for type ones and for all of us is that you were not created for perfection. Jesus, the only true perfect one, came to cover and recover your shortcomings. Amen? 
You see, ones and all of us need to hear the words, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made what? Perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. It's not found in the perfect. He is perfect, not us. That is not our goal. To show our imperfect and to live with the imperfect can allow Him to be stronger in us. You see, ones need everything and every, everyone and everything buttoned up. They do things the right way. And because no one can meet their astronomically high standards, ones often fill up with anger that boils over in the form of resentment. That is their deadly sin. Now we have the whole wheel of all the sins. A one's deadly sin is anger. They, along with eights and nines, struggle with interior anger. And if not directed in positive ways, it can become all-consuming. And while eights and nines struggle with that too, ones, it is at their very core. Anger. When things aren't done the right way. Anger. Because it doesn't look the way it's supposed to look. Anger. Because people don't do what they're supposed to do. Ones are consumed by that. And when they're under stress, they take on some of the unhealthy characteristics of a four. Like turning their anger inward because they won't show it on the outside. And they become depressed. But ones don't give up. Ones keep going no matter what. And when a one finds his or her true calling, there is nothing that can stand in their way. Paul faced beatings, imprisonment, shipwrecks, the occasional rock to the head. But he was committed to his calling. And so when they are healthy, they become like healthy sevens, less critical more accepting of themselves, for instance, and their imperfections. And on this weekend when we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you might think he's a one, but he is believed to be an eight with a nine wing. Yeah, you can look all these things up. You can go through and anybody you think you want to know what their Enneagram is, type in their name and their Enneagram and it will try to figure, it will try to tell you where that is. But here's why. Because he said this, for instance, Without justice, there can be no peace. Type 8's desire for justice. And type 9's desire for peace. And of course, it's a wing. And I wanted to share this because this also gives a clue on how the wing fits into the primary Enneagram type of anybody and how you might see that in a real person. Because although the nine wing has a desire for peace, the eight can see that peace requires action other than simply going along to get along. It requires a fight against unfair treatment. Remember, eights are all about that. They have a cause. A standing up for one's rights and the rights of others. They call it the bear, actually. If you look at it, it's called the bear. What makes Martin Luther King Jr. 
most strikingly different from the stereotype of the eight is his non-violent approach to challenging justice. You may not remember, but he won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964 for his efforts. He isn't just an ordinary guy. And he also said this, the strong man is the man who can stand up for his rights and not hit back. Who can stand up for his rights and not hit back. On Saturday before Hamilton, we saw one of those places in our society that changed through nonviolent resistance as we ate at Woolworth on 5th. If you haven't been here, you need to go. The food's not as good as it was two years ago, but you need to go upstairs. You need to see all of the stuff that's from there if you don't know anything, anything about that. Back then, in those days, there was a colored counter and a whites only at Woolworth and Fifth. And of course, you couldn't be served by one or the other. And after nonviolent protests and sit-ins, some of the first ones in the country, which happened right here, Today, there were people of all colors, nations, ethnicities who were eating together. No one was kept out or separated. No one was in one section or another. That was a direct result of the sit-ins held there. There are now just nostalgic memories along the walls. Even though there's still a lot of work to do to still reconcile race in this country. And the reason I bring up Martha King Jr. and 8 on the weekend focused on ones is this. Do you know who is arguably the most famous one in the world besides Paul? Any idea who is probably the most famous one in the world besides Paul in the modern era? Any guesses, Roger? You got anything? Jack, you can jump on something? Nobody's got anything. Thanks. Did you read it or did you guess? Okay. (laughs) Thanks for being honest, Eight. Thank you, Debbie. It's Gandhi. And if you look at Gandhi's life, he's the most famous person of nonviolent opposition that ever lived. He had a desire for justice and equality and was motivated by a strong sense of right and wrong. And why is he important? Because he and Paul had a huge influence on Martin Luther King Jr., who adopted his nonviolent approach after all the things that happened in India. You see, in redeemed healthy ones, say one, like Paul and Mahatma Gandhi, can literally change the world. So ones, and all of us here, this is what we need to hear today from God. I invite you to be free from striving to be right and perfect in order to be worthy of my love and approval. You are already worthy And my love for you is a free gift to you in Christ. So are you a one?
If not, what's your number? Amen. Doesn't the altar look perfect today? Uh, Davis couldn't stand it? What did you move? What? (laughs) It is. Davis is a nine peacekeeper with a one perfectionist wing. Now, let's be clear. Davis is perfectionist only in some things, not everything. And he will admit that. But what he's perfectionist in, he is perfectionist in. It's helped us to learn a lot about each other as staff, and it really has helped. I really hope you will invest in it in some way. First level, second level, third level. I'll keep giving you more stuff to be able to look at, but I hope it helps. This bread was broken for everyone. There was no place over here where colored folks would be and white folks would be, where Jews or Greeks, male or female, people from Iraq, Iran, or Iowa. This bread was broken and given to all in the world out of his love. His blood was shed and poured out for all of us because he considered us to be friends. No, he never even met you and me, but he knew us. He knew us because he was God. He knew us because we would be created and knit in our mother's womb. You know, we don't ever decide where we're going to be born You just come out wherever it is you come out. You don't know what country you're going to be in. You don't know what lifestyle you're going to have. You don't know what's going to happen whatsoever. We don't get that choice, and yet often we hold that against one another. It's not a free choice. But we're all created equal. All knit together in the same place. And so his blood reminds us We all have the same color blood. Unless you're Vulcan, of course, that's different. But in our world, where color your skin is does not affect what color your blood is. We all have the same blood running through us no matter who we are. And it's this blood that he shed and poured out for us this morning. As you come forward this morning and come forward to receive one of the one of the things that I want you to, to be able to think about is, is, is how do I let go of the fact of trying to be perfect or whatever perfection looks like for me? Because all of us have a little bit of that of some sort. That we have to somehow be acceptable and pleasing to God. How can I let that go? How can I learn the lesson of a healthy one like Paul? That I'm not there yet. And I want to rely on Christ to get me there, not my own actions or what I do.
in my life. Some of you may not have been here last week, and if you were not here last week, then uh, towards the end of the service when we, when we do this, if you want to remember your baptism, I still have the bowl here in the, in the gems, and you can be able to come up and be able to do that as well. And if you want me to do it, I can certainly do it, but you can also just take the water and put the sign of the cross on your forehead and grab one of the gems to remember your baptism, that you are loved. And so as we gather here this morning, let our hearts be open to the fact that we are imperfect creatures created by a perfect God. He does not expect us to be perfect, but that we're on the journey to perfection, not without error, but perfect in love. Let us pray. Gracious God, may this bread and this juice be for us the reminders of your perfect love for us, your imperfect creation. May they speak to us about the need to accept all and to be able to invite all to come to the table. May we pour forth into these things all that we have and all that we are and let God use us and transform us through this means of grace. Bless these elements now in the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. People of God said together, Amen. Invite those coming up to serve to come forward. What I will do is I will stay in the middle and do baptism. Mm -hmm. Whispered in my ear that we have eight servers, which is awesome. But that also means that I will be free to remember your baptism if you'd like me to. And I will just stand here in between the two stations. And if you did not do that, you can stop by and see me. Come forward, receive from the perfect God who loves us even with our imperfections. Come forward and receive this morning. I think I'll do this. I don't need two bowls.
doesn't bother you at all, does it? Apparently bars my nine upstairs. The one wing. Jack told me to move this candle up here where it's supposed to be. <laughs> Believe me, it's hard enough for me having that one as a part of me to make things like that and not change it myself. And we all learn the lesson of a one. We don't have to be perfect for God. God isn't checking out to, to make sure that we do all the right things, check all the right boxes. What God wants is our heart. And our heart is very imperfect. But our heart is the perfect gift for God. So leave this place knowing that you don't have to be perfect in the things that you do. When you make mistakes, it's okay to accept yourself and to accept others. Please, please, please do not put your level of what you consider to be perfection on someone else because they will always struggle in your eyes. God has given us new life and freedom. Give that same new life and freedom to all those you meet. Amen. Go with God today. You're dismissed.